the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer, Captain. All real man. Love is, is Love. too weak a word. Stay back. I loathe you. I loathe you. I love you. I love you. I did as you said. Don't lie! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie. Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to... Parasite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. Time of recording, 11.07 a.m. on January 3rd, 2021. Happy New Year, everyone. I am your host, Matt Neglia, and here to join me today, I have Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. Happy New Year. Josh Parm. Hello, hello. Dan Baer. This is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. Lauren LaMagna. Hello, hello. And Cody Derricks. Hi. All right, everyone. We are looking back and looking forward today. That in-between episode where we have just finished off a year and we are starting a new one. It's a time of reflection for sure. It is also a time of certain uncertainty because of the fact that the industry changed forever in 2020. And there are, I would say, definitely more systems in place now to give us a more eventful 2021 than we did with 2020 because we were thrust into such chaotic times in regards to COVID-19. Now, we know that productions are being shot, they're being completed, we know that people are getting vaccinated, so hopefully theaters will continue to reopen, but We also know that the streaming hybrid will also still be in effect. So it's going to be a very, very interesting 2021, to say the least. We are going to take today to recap and kind of put a cap on 2020. Thank God. And we're also going to talk about movies that we are looking forward to in 2021. We're going to go over the polls, answer fan questions. No trailers today. First up. Let's go around. Let's see what everybody watched between Christmas and New Year's. Starting off first with Michael Schwartz. Yeah, so like many people, I'm sure I watched a lot over this past week. I watched uh, five movies, first being Wonder Woman 1984. I caught up with that right after we recorded last week. And I'm usually not one for superhero movies in general, but I do like when they don't take themselves too seriously and lean into them being light and fun. And for me, that's what this was. I thought it was really entertaining. It's definitely overlong. But I like that it didn't get caught up in its own self-seriousness. And in a way, it reminded me of the old school Richard Donner Superman movies. And that it just felt like a movie movie rather than some corporate concoction. Uh, I like the momentum that it had. I wish it keeps the momentum going forward. And uh, it's not perfect, but I had a lot of fun with it. So I highly recommend Wonder Woman 1984 just for a good time. Uh, I caught up with Uncle Frank, which I guess is a TV movie now, but it premiered at Sundance. And it deserves to be a movie movie because I liked it quite a bit. Uh, I, it's one of the rare movies that I actually wish were longer because I think it wraps things up way too quickly in this 90 minute running time. Like I would have loved to see maybe 30 more minutes of these characters and their situations. But everyone is terrific in it. Uh, it's a really interesting story and it's on Amazon Prime or Prime Video if you want to check it out. Scene goes for Sylvie's Love, which is just really beautiful and well done. 
beautiful costume design and production design, and it very much feels like a film to come out of the late 1950s, early 1960s. Uh, very nice job with that one. And then two rewatches to bring in the new year. I watched Ma Rainey's Black Bottom again just to see those performances, and my God, they are spectacular. Of course, Chadwick runs away with the whole thing, but Viola, I think, is really doing some beautiful work uh, as this woman who's aware of her talent and her worth, and she could have gone really broad with it, but she, I think, tailors in on those uh, more human moments, and that's what makes it such a terrific performance, in my opinion. And then the final movie I watched this week, I hadn't seen in almost a decade, and I just wanted to see it again for the sake of it. I watched Ang Lee's Sense and Sensibility, which uh, is, no surprise to anyone, very, very good. So those were the five movies I saw this week. It was a pretty good week. I find it so bizarre that Ang Lee himself looks back on that era, and he does not think that he was making, quote-unquote, like good movies back then. Have you guys like seen that interview where he says that? Oh, yeah. Well, he even goes to talk about like Brokeback saying, yeah, I'm not as impressed by that one. I prefer more like Billy Lynn or Gemini Man. I'm like, OK. Yeah, it's like so bizarre. <laughs> yeah, he calls Brokeback Mountain boring. <laughs> you made the damn thing. You won an Oscar for it. <laughs> an interesting guy, but uh, one of our more unique artists. Absolutely. All right. Lauren LaMagna. So, yeah, I watched a lot, too, over this weekend. Um the first thing that I caught up with was Wonder Woman 1984 on Christmas Day. And I love <clears throat> comic book movies. Um, I read them. I watch them. I grew up with animated shows and live action shows. So it's a big part of my family. And I was let down by this film. I thought that it had nothing to do with Wonder Woman. It wasn't really about her. And I thought that she was just reacting to things around her instead of going through something. And... That made me sad, but and it was but on the bright side it was colorful. Um Gal Gadot's hair looked great, so whoever did hair on that movie, you rock. <laughs> but um otherwise it was just a letdown and I wish that they just went with, you know, the normal Cheetah origin story, because that's a really cool story and it just let me down. Um the next day I watched Soul, which was just really cute and nice and lovely. Um I love Pixar. They always in I always enjoyed this was definitely, I think, one of the most intelligent Pixar pieces. But um, if I'm still Team Wolf Walkers for Best Animated Picture. And then a little later in the week, I saw Promising Young Woman. Finally, I feel like I'm part of the group now. And you guys can hear my thoughts and opinions on that in our podcast review, which is currently out. All righty. Okay. Heading over next to Cody Derricks. So um, I also, you know, watched the big releases Christmas week. I watched Wonder Woman 84. I watched Soul and both kind of uh, underwhelm me in their own ways. Um, I'm also definitely Team Wolfwalkers. Um, but rather than talk about that, I've been on the show, the main show, in a little bit. So I kind of wanted to highlight just a couple of the smaller films I've watched uh, at the end of the year as you're doing, you know, your year-end wrap-up. Um, first up, I watched this teeny teeny tiny movie called 14 it was nominated for i think a gotham screenplay and that's it and so i just it was on my radar from that so this like less than a hundred thousand dollar movie by uh dan Sallett, and it's this stunningly real and like so ultimately grounded portrayal of somebody just kind of going through 
a crisis, but the person going through the crisis is the supporting character. So I'm sure we've all kind of encountered a moment in our life where we have the kind of like, for lack of a better word, messy friend who's just kind of on the fringe of your life and you're vaguely worried about them. And this movie really portrays that um, relationship in a really stunning way. I was really blown away by it. Um, and then I watched this uh, Guatemalan movie called, or rather it's not, I don't think it's Guatemalan, I think it's multinational, but it's about um, a young Guatemalan gay man. It's called Jose. Oh, Josh saw that. Yeah, I thought yes. I thought you had Josh. Yes, I have. I really like that movie. Me too. Um, it's very you know plot light. It's really just about this uh, young man's coming of age. But we've been seeing a kind of pattern lately with queer movies. Um, another one recently was And Then We Danced, where we kind of uh get to as you know, <laughs> American audiences look at a different culture's queer coming of age experience. Um, and I really like that little mini genre. It's very almost. Relaxing is the wrong word, but it's definitely just a, a nice experience, and I highly recommend that. Lots of great performances in that. And then this wasn't a small movie, but uh, it kind of got just a, a nothing response. But I watched uh, Julie Taymor's The Glorias, and I was really surprised by how much I liked this movie. <laughs> it's maybe, you know, 20 minutes too long, but it is both wacky and also not wacky compared to Julie Timor's normal stuff. And I thought it was a pretty great examination of like one person's life and how their identity shapes across it in ways they might not even know. And before you know it, you know, you're a radical. <laughs> um, so I, it may not be for everybody. And I know it got a definite mixed response, but I, for one, really did like the glorious. Cool. Great costumes in that one, too. Great makeup, too. My God, the Julia Moore transformation was fantastic. Yeah. All right, heading over now to Josh Parham. So this was a week filled with a lot of like catch up for end of the year stuff. And then once the new year came, I basically abandoned that and just started like watching a bunch of stuff I had already seen because I was sort of burnt out. Um, but in terms of some of the newer stuff I did see, I did finally check out A Son, which I really liked. Uh, it's not perfect. I think there are some flaws in it, but it is a really engrossing story and even at two and a half hours, I think it is, it pretty much holds your attention all the way through. Really interesting character studies in that movie. I would still highly recommend it. Uh, I also saw Dear Comrades, which is Russia's submission for the International Feature Oscar this year. And that movie is fantastic. It is so riveting and suspenseful, and yet you still kind of care about the characters too. And it's Beautiful black and white cinematography. Um, if you have an opportunity to see that one, I would highly recommend it. It's actually one of my favorites uh, in that race right now that I've seen. Uh, I also caught up with Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey. And that one I thought was okay. I, it's definitely meant for a more like general family audience. And there's some things I think it does very well in that regard. And some other things that I think that I... I don't think are all that great. It doesn't really look like the cinematography is, I thought was kind of cheap looking, but the production and costume design, I think are really, really good in it. I, if there's any reason to see it, it would be for that. And then the last thing that I finally caught up with was Sylvie's love and uh, love is appropriate. I, I did actually kind of fall in love with that movie. Looks great. L the performances are fantastic. The, score oh my god the score in that movie is just so beautiful and yeah it, it's like not an amazing revolutionary movie but it's so like sweet and i it's one of those like you kind of just want to give it a big hug kind of a movies so uh, and that one is on amazon prime right now and i would highly recommend that one as well yeah the emmy race next year is going to be so stacked 
Yeah, it's filled with movies. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And finally, Dan Bear. Okay, um, I have also watched a lot. You know, it's the time of year when we're all trying to catch up on everything that we've seen. Um, I saw all the Christmas movies. I saw Soul, and I saw Sylvie's Love, and I saw Wonder Woman 1984, and I liked them all to different degrees. Uh, I also watched News of the World, which is a movie that exists, and is well made and inspires absolutely nothing else in me to say about it. Um, I, like Josh, I also saw a son, and I, I, I think the movie's biggest issue it has is with pacing. When you have a two and a half hour runtime and a twisty turny but ultimately kind of simple story your pacing needs to be on point in order to last across that runtime. And for me, it, it just didn't hold me. Um, but it beautifully shot. The cinematography is really, really strong. Um, but it didn't it engage me enough throughout the whole runtime. And there were moments, but um, overall, I was not a huge fan. Um I also caught up with Swallow, which yeah. I <laughs> which I watched um, not long after doing the Promising Young Woman review podcast yesterday. And wow, those two movies are in conversation with each other in a way that I was not expecting. Um, and it's just a, yet another fantastic debut film from 2020. And I'm like, we have really been like spoiled on that front this year. The the vision, the cinematography and production design in this movie are just outstanding. And Haley Bennett is spectacular in the lead role. And yes, it made me just as queasy as you may have heard that this movie makes people. Uh, and lastly, I saw I was looking for something sort of fun uh, to watch late night yesterday, and I saw that spontaneous was oh yeah available for rental on Amazon for like two ninety nine, and I was like okay that's it I'm I'm watching that and that was so enjoyable. It is uh, one of the better uh, teen focused movies that I've seen this year. It's really funny um shockingly relevant to 2020 and Catherine langford is just a whole mood and a half in this movie it is it, it's i had a lot of fun with it and i think that for 2.99 you're not going to get much better bang for your buck uh, for anything you rent. So I highly recommend if it's still that cheap uh, to rent on Amazon Prime. Yeah, I actually want to echo that because I too watched Spontaneous uh, this week. It was my final film that I watched uh, in 2020. I watched it on New Year's Eve. Oh, nice. And I could not believe, Dan, how shockingly relevant it was as well. I I was watching the damn thing and I was like, wow, it's kind of amazing that I'm watching this as the final film for 2020 right now. I... I have to admit, 
the jury is still out on whether or not if I think Charlie Plummer is actually a good actor. Yeah, I don't. I'm between this and words on bathroom walls. I'm just like, I just don't get it. But <laughs> Catherine Langford is truly everything in this movie. And I thought she carried this movie so, so well. Yeah. Uh, definitely a delightful movie and worth the rental price, like you, like you said. And let me tell you, I... I it is not helping that she is blonde in this movie because now I continue to get her mixed up with um what's her face Catherine Newton yes can't 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 cannot keep them straight when they both have blonde hair like this <laughs> can't do it. So after I watched The Sun last week, I kind of got on the train of oh let me catch up on some of the other international feature uh, contenders from this year. And I watched uh, The Man Standing Next, uh, which was um, South Korea's Oscar submission. And it's a political thriller that just had me gripped from beginning to end. And the lead performance, especially from um, Lee Byung-hung, was absolutely fantastic. The third act of this movie, even though I have to admit, like some of the political, like, and so in social um, uh, uh, some of the political and social um, uh, history of this movie was kind of like flying over my head at times. Um, I would have to probably do a little bit more reading to be a little bit more engrossed in it. The third act of this movie was just thrilling and it like had me on the edge of my seat the entire time. Uh, very, very good stuff. And then finally, from uh, India, I watched their Oscar submission called Jellicatu which is currently streaming on Amazon Prime. And this movie was a wild, wild ride. I mean, holy crap. It was about like, essentially, like there's like a wild buffalo that gets loose and the entire town just goes absolutely apeshit trying to catch it. And everybody just starts like losing their minds. Everybody starts turning on each other. And it it just like everything just like, gets thrown into chaos. Uh, The cinematography was so kinetic. The editing was rhythmic, like, throughout the entire time. It just had, like, this rhythm to it, like, that was matched with the music that was also very unique, and the sound work was also very distinctive. I'm telling you, like, narratively, it was very repetitive, and I, you know, I don't know how much um, shorter it could have been, because it's 95 minutes already, but uh, just in terms of a pure sensory experience of visual and audio i mean like it it was <laughs> let me tell you if you got a time on amazon prime highly recommend checking it out and that's it for me this week uh kind of a light week i mean uh the one i really do want to catch up with that i know dan you watched is uh two lovers what's it called again two of us oh you mean two of us two of us sorry yes that's yes. the one mm-hmm that's a Fra- Fra- uh, France's Oscar submission this year. I, w- yes. I really want to watch that one. It is very, very good. So good. Yeah. So um, hopefully by next week, I will have something to report on that one. Hi, everyone. This is Tim Costa. I'm Hermano De Silva. And this is Walter Vinci. And together we are the First Time Watchers Podcast. Each week we choose a movie to review that none of us has seen. Watch it together. And then discuss. These movies could be new. Or old. Or on our list of shame. You can find us on iTunes by searching for the First Time Watchers Podcast as well as on Stitcher. And we love interacting with our listeners, so if you have any suggestions, send us a tweet, an email, or post to our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. That's right. I mean, it's all about interaction. And talk about what we love, movies, 
And you don't have to worry about us going on and on about this and that and the other. And oh, no, no, look, no, no, let's no. talk stop, about stop, this stop, minutia shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. And shut I wonder who the cat can God damn it, shut up. I think that's I guess really at this point, what I kind of want to do is I really, really want us all to just take a moment to reflect. And I don't really have anything planned here. I genuinely do not like have bullet points. I normally do for what we're going to talk about. I really want to just kind of throw the floor over to you guys and give you all a moment to really just talk about 2020, what it meant for you in terms of movies, the industry, cinema, and what it is that you're looking forward to in 2021, predictions, fears, anxieties, hopes, dreams, you know, really anything. Well, I I certainly uh, don't think it's inaccurate to say that 2020, uh, kind of a mixed bag, <laughs> a little bit, um, definitely a lot of hardships and those hardships are kind of continuing and we certainly need to recognize that. But, you know, at the same time, I do look back at the year and see some things that I'm very grateful for. I'm I'm grateful that we still had this website and this community to push forward that helped so much just mentally and emotionally throughout the year. And also just getting to see some interesting films as well. Like, yeah, the bigger titles did get pushed, but there was still so many great films that came out this year and having the opportunity to get to see them and write about them and talk about them is something that I still very much value. And I feel like that's only going to get stronger during 2021 as hopefully things start to open up again and more access becomes available. And that is something on the horizon I'm looking forward to, despite a lot of the hardships that we had to suffer through uh, back in 2020. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, this year sucked. Like, (laughs) (laughs) there's no way to get around it. It was a shitty, shitty year. But on the plus side of having to stay home, I did watch a lot more than I normally did. I think my end count was maybe like 82, 83 films in my 2020 ranked list on Letterboxd, which is a lot longer than my normal list of other ranked films. So like, that's cool. So it is kind of nice that, you know, with the absence of these big studio films, we got to see all these little guys and we really got to see, you know, debut directors and a lot of other, you know, directors of color and women directors, um, women of color directors and like all these new artists telling their stories that might've been, you know, brushed under if we had all these big studios coming out with all these amazing movies that hopefully we'll see soon asterisk sign but um it is kind of cool you know looking back on all of you know the little films that we did see and that we are all still talking about now in january which probably wouldn't unfortunately be the case if the world didn't go to shit i hate that it took a pandemic to bring us to this point but i think this past year was a really interesting and much needed opportunity to hit reset and reevaluate why we look at films the way we do and how we view them, what we consider a film, uh, 
I, I think it's been a really interesting process and we don't yet have all those answers yet, but it's just been much needed to go in and look at why we're doing this and what we could constitute as a film. You know, kind of piggybacking off of that, this year really made me look at the Oscar race, especially like in a very unique and interesting way, because we don't have that audience reception box office receipts to gauge stuff on. So that's been very interesting because of the fact that studios that have the money and the power, I'm really, really curious, especially for Netflix, to see if they can take movies that are not exactly lighting the world on fire critically and also, too, um, with audiences in terms of passion and they can still manage to muscle their way into the conversation and get them those nominations in the end. I think that that's going to be a very, very, very telling test uh, for future years to see if a studio can rise above um, a film's critical bashing and or, or lack of enthusiasm and still manage to get them in the race in a very, very major way and what that will mean for future Oscar races, even if there are box office receipts in place. It's been a fascinating year to... Um, talk about film because I feel like more than ever everyone has sort of been off in their own little worlds watching whatever it is they feel like it, it, there wasn't like you know like the big new releases every week so much I mean there were a few of them especially as we got to the end of the year but for most of the year it was just like you know watch whatever you've sort of heard people talk about that sounds interesting to you and it's it's been great, but also frustrating. Yeah, <laughs> because more than ever, it feels like there's not really like a real conversation to be had with a lot of these movies. Like you know, if you don't watch it right when sort of everyone else is is watching it, whether that's when it premieres at a festival or whether it when it opens in huge air quotes, when it opens, when it releases um, to the mass public or just whenever everyone sort of decides they're doing it, you know, you have to sort of like go back and get into those conversations. Um, and it's very, very difficult to find sometimes. I mean, the two biggest uh, releases of the year were Tenet and Wonder Woman 1984. And, they had such dominating discourse the weekends of their release. And yeah. while that conversation still does continue on social media, Dan, you're right in that if you don't like actually take part in it during that opening uh, couple of days, it really does dissipate and everybody just moves on to the next thing already. And it's like completely forgotten about by then, you know? I mean, like, it's even weird because like when when I I did not watch Wonder Woman 1984 on the day it was released, I watched it the next day, and it feels like it had already gone through the whole cycle of love, um, backlash, backlash to the backlash. <laughs> it had gone like through that whole cycle already, and I was like, wait, what? What are people saying about this movie? What? <laughs> and that was when I was a day late watching yeah. it. It was really, really hard to keep track, honestly. If you're not fully yeah. tuned in to what it, people are talking about on social media one day, then the next day they've just moved on to something else entirely. And that's kind of the world that we live in if you live on social media. And this year we had no choice but to live on social media because we were stuck indoors all the time. 
it's important to remember at the same time that when we talk about those conversations that happen on social media, they do not represent like even a percentage of the world at large. So there are people who are just catching up to Wonder Woman now or won't watch it for another two weeks or so, and they're going to have no idea that people are having these conversations. So I think it's good for us to know that those conversations are happening, but also put that in perspective to how these films are being received by a larger audience out there. Yeah, it's yeah. funny that the conversation is definitely rightfully so about the kind of uh, flickering nature of uh, zeitgeist in these days, because I actually found that paradoxically what 2020 showed to us was the lasting value of art to stretch across time um, early in the pandemic when we were all, you know, kind of figuring out our damn lives. I really think the, the, uh, the idea of comfort movies came into play really heavily. Um, I feel like everybody in the world is watching Moonstruck one week, <laughs> which is really great to see. Um, and, you know, if your movie isn't good or has something to say, it's, that's not going to be the case. You know, I mean, there, I, I can say that so many movies that were just consumed this year are going to be just forgotten to the same time. And that's fine. There's a place for them. But I, that's not ultimately the art that interests me. And like similarly this summer when, you know, our country was going through a reckoning about the, you know, racial, uh, institutional racism that is the foundation of this country, a lot of people were reflecting that through watching do the right thing and um, watermelon woman and a lot of underappreciated black voices and also reflective black voices. And I think that just really speaks to the way that we view art as a prism to reflect not only the current moment, but to see how far we've come in the past. And that's the purpose of art. You know, that's the reason why people should be making and experiencing art that has the intention to last is to be a reflection of history around us and also within ourselves. I think it's going to be really interesting to look at a lot of the movies that were released this year and see what kind of shelf life they do have yep. compared to the life they may have had if this year had been a normal year. Like I'm thinking a lot of something like Spontaneous, which has sort of fallen way under most people's radar. But like, had that been released in theaters, that might have been like a kind of new teen classic. It sort of has that kind of cult feel about it but now that cult is going to be so much smaller because there is not the sort of big advertising push that comes with a big wide theatrical release yeah and it's funny because the art that never that lasts is the one that makes an impact you know not necessarily mm -hmm. what was the top box office grossing the week you were born in the mid 90s yeah. <laughs> but also too i think that's why the oscars this year are very very important in capturing the movies that really encapsulated this year for all of us, because I think in future years, when people do look back, they will look back at what was nominated. And those are the films that will most likely stick out. They're, they're going to look at the top box office uh, films of 2020 and they're going to go, huh? But boys <laughs> <laughs> for life, <laughs> you know, the, the Oscars will hopefully tell a better picture. So my hope is that, uh, unlike last year where like four or five films like dominated everything, I'm really, really hoping this year more than ever that a lot of films get somewhere between five and seven nominations. And this way, many, many films can get nominated because honestly, it wasn't, you know, one billion dollar grocer or multi, you know, hundred million dollar grocers that 
really captured uh, this year for a lot of people. It were it was this collection of very, very, very tiny independent movies that got little to zero box office. And I'm, I'm, that's that's my, my big, big hope with this year's Oscars is that a lot of films can get represented this year. Yeah. And which like to kind of piggyback off that, I feel like one of the lasting effects of this year for me is how film festivals adapted to mm. this year and the so many of them adopted, you know, the online platform and really opened up their library of films that, you know, their um, their lineups to people who normally would not be able to see them at a film festival and that I really hope that they do continue with that going forward because there is <laughs> so many, there are so many movies that play at film festivals that never get released or that get released like a year to two later and people just forget about them. And I think this is a, this offers a really nice platform for movies that do sort of make a, a, a even a little splash at their film festival debuts to then, um, you know, find an audience where normally they may not have had that chance just because people are, you know, these films are now more accessible. And I really hope that that does, that's a trend that continues, not something that was just done for this year out of necessity. 100%. And I hope that next year we are able to go back to in-person film festival. <laughs> I actually have a suggestion in regards to that. I really hope that the online model of film festivals, virtual screenings does continue as well. However, in an effort to preserve the theatrical experience and also make it a little bit fair and balanced, I would suggest a reduced slate for online virtual only. And you can get yeah. the full slate if you do travel, go in person and get the full festival experience. I, I think that that would be a very interesting way to do it moving forward, because I agree with you, Dan. Once they've given us a taste of it, I don't know if there's necessarily a way to go back to an all or nothing model of just in person theatrical now. Uh, so that would be my solution if they were looking for a way to do it moving forward. Like you could still get some docs and some, some of the shorts and you know, some of the uh, indie films, but maybe like the bigger titles. Yeah. Buy a ticket, get the hotel. Like, I mean, it's the price of admission at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. I think of something like, uh, the kid detective, which I saw at TIFF that like absolutely would not have seen otherwise. And would have totally flown under the radar. But the fact that it was available on the digital platform and like, you know, you hear people talk about it online and say, okay, I'm I'm gonna add that to my selections and like really enjoyed it and was able to also like spread that gospel to people. Like this is something that is good. And if it ever gets released in any way, you should watch it. And then it did get released, actually, and people did watch it. Yeah, I 100% agree with like the model that you're suggesting, Matt, that I think going forward, it is so beneficial for film festivals to incorporate some kind of online accessibility and not necessarily that has to apply to their bigger titles. I think that it would be beneficial to them to keep them as like an in-person event that you have to buy tickets and go to the theater for. But for some of these smaller films that 
are going to have a hard time just sort of breaking out in that field if you're seeing all these high-profile contenders. Like, offering them online and offering them to people that aren't physically able to travel to the actual theater or the location that these festivals are being held at, I think is a really great idea. I, I hope that festivals continue to do that in the future because it is sort of hard to go back once you've already introduced it. And I think it will only help them going forward. um, If anything, for some of those more marquee titles that you would see premiere at TIFF or Telluride uh, AFI, I think maybe having them on the ground premieres, not virtual at first, but then as they go to regional festivals, maybe they could have their virtual festival debut maybe a month or so later i mean we saw that this year where people were able to buy tickets to virtual uh screenings uh for a lot of regional festivals that were not geo-blocked i mean that's how i know a lot of you saw uh some of the titles that still have not yet been theatrically released like nomadland or minari so it's definitely an option to consider Anything else on uh, 2020? It sucked. Let's move on. <laughs> I, I do want to say that, like, thank you to the NBP staff and community, because yep. without y'all, I would not have made it through this year. Amen. Yeah, it's not lost on me when I got so many messages from so many folks this year who said that the podcast helped them get through the mundanity of every single day. And uh, that means a lot. To me personally, and I know it means a lot to all of you as well. And, you know, by extension of that, as I said on last week's show, um, I, too, don't know how I would have gotten through what has easily been uh, maybe the worst year of my life. And I'm sure of many of your lives, you know, I mean, if it wasn't for all of you, the community that we've helped to build here, our friendships with each other and also this really beautiful art form that kind of just unites us together and brings us to talk all the time, whether it's in podcast form or in our chats or just interacting through the beautiful writing that you all do. I mean, it's a really, really wonderful thing, and I'm very, very proud of it. So I really, really appreciate um, all of you guys, you know, still, you know, kind of being on this journey with me and also to the fans being on the journey with all of us as we get through what has been one of the most difficult years of our lives, if not the most difficult. And, you know, the bright silver lining of it all is that if we can get through this year, I think we can get through anything. And we have a new president uh, coming in, you know, the COVID-19 virus, uh, you know, the vaccine. We'll see what happens with that. There are a lot of things I'm hoping that we'll be, we'll be able to turn around in 2021. So keep your heads up and stay positive. I think we're going to come out this on the other side after all. Hey, everyone. I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast, a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning, and you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelinfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive and keep feeling film. Okay, everyone. So for last week, we asked the MVP film community, what is your favorite film of 2020? Now, 
I want to preface by saying that we are not doing the MVP Film Community Awards just yet. Why? Because we are going to go. We are going to be going by the Academy's calendar year, uh, which, uh, as we frustratingly have pointed out multiple times, encapsulates both January and February releases this year. So. We're going to be holding off right now on handing out ballots for nominations for the MVP Film Community Awards. Plus, we are also going to be holding off on the MVP Film Awards. However, I think this will be a cool snapshot uh, preview to show us what the MVP Film Community really, really liked in 2020. Um, I want to just go around really quick and ask everyone here. I know I post my top 10 list of 2020 and you know, asterisk sign, I reserve the right to change it if I see something in January, February that I think is worthy of being on the top 10. But oh, you mean if you see a 2021 movie? OK, <laughs> Josh, I'll start off with you for that snide <laughs> comment. Uh, what was your favorite film of 2020? Uh, my favorite film of 2020 was indeed Nomadland. No surprise there. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Chicago Indie Critics announced their winners last night. Nomadland won its Best Feature Film category. I'm sure you had something to do with that. Uh, maybe a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Cody Derricks, what about yourself? Uh, I'm also a Nomadland boy. I mean, I still have a lot to see, and I expect Promising Young Women may have, you know, may put up a tough fight for that top spot. But for now, Nomadland. Lauren LaMagna. I voted for Wolfwalkers, but that was before I saw Promising Young Woman. Okay. So Promising Young Woman. Dan Bear. <laughs> With apologies to Nine Days that got moved to next year, and I can't wait for y'all to see it. Uh, uh, my favorite film of the year is Boaz Yakin's Aviva. And Michael Schwartz. Well, since it's technically November 3rd for all intents and purposes as we're recording this, still got a lot more to see, but I'll say uh, at the moment, it's Saul. Okay, and everyone knows my number one favorite film of the year was Promise a Young Woman. I'm not going to beat a dead horse to death. So what I'm going to do is I am going to announce what the MVP film community voted on as their favorite movie as 20, for 2020. And for the sake of the year, I'm going to announce the top 20. So... Here we go. Let's see what the community had to say and click. Okay, here we go. Oh, this is very interesting. Ooh. Okay. Okay. All right. Here we go. <laughs> Ma won again. <laughs> oh, weird. Number 20 is Birds of Prey. Nice. Makes sense. Everybody saw it. And it's very fun. I actually just rewatched that not too long ago, and I enjoy that movie a lot. I think Ewan McGregor is going so hard on that performance, and I love every second of it. Love it. Yeah, I yeah. love it. It's just so much fun. It's fun. <laughs> it is a fun movie. It's it's very flawed, but it is fun, and I can't take that away from it. And plus, you know what? I'm very much looking forward to James Gunn's The Suicide Squad because I can't wait to get more Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. Truly. I, yeah. Uh, number 19, Kelly Reichardt's First Cow. Nice. Yes, good one. I, 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 yeah, I, I think that's still I think that's still my favorite Kelly Reichardt film. She's very much not my speed when it comes to the pacing of her movies, but I found First Cow to be the most accessible film that she's made yet for me personally. Number 18. I think this would have placed higher if we gave this more time. Number 18 is The Father. Yeah, the, the thing with that yeah. movie is just 
people haven't really been able to see it yet. I, I really think that's the biggest issue it's facing right now. Yeah, I agree. Uh, all-timer performance from Anthony Hopkins. Serious. Really, really incredible editing. I, I think it's one of the most extraordinary directorial debuts of the year and the best screen uh, stage-to-screen adaptation we've had this year as well. Mm-hmm. 17, a movie that everyone saw, The Invisible Man. Oh, that was that has remained life. really good. That's remained one of my favorites. I think the way it was crafted and Elizabeth Moss's performance, uh, really, really spectacular. The sound work. Oh, God, that final shot yes. with uh, Benjamin Walfish's score and oh, the cathartic release of that ending. So, so satisfying. Lee Wanell really knocked it out of the park with that one. 16. I was very surprised by displacement. This was one of the things that made me go, oh, oh, in the beginning. Number 16 is The Five Bloods. That is okay. a movie that is held on in such a way where we saw it back in June and everyone thought it was pretty good, but we weren't sure how it would factor into end of year. And now that we're at or approaching the end of the year, I, I think people are really looking at it going, hey, there's no reason we can't have this in the mix as one of the best. And I think it's totally deserved. It's a great film. Yeah, it's not faded in a way that a lot of other Netflix movies have. I said it on Twitter this week, and I'm just putting the idea out there. After the year that we've had with Black Lives Matter and the resurgence that we're seeing with The Five Bloods, there is a part of me that would not be surprised if Spike Lee became the industry favorite and won, say, the DGA and went on to become the first black director to win uh, Best Director. I It'll still find it a little difficult to see that happening for this movie, but I, because I think that one of the reasons why the movie has stayed alive so much in the conversation is because it's not great. If that makes any sense, like there's a lot to talk about it in terms of the choices that were made and things to debate about whether it was good or bad or could have been done better, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's one of the reasons why it has held up so much is because there's constantly things to talk about as people as people see it. Um, but I don't know if the film is really of the quality enough to get it into the big races in terms of winning. I mean, nobody was saying that Black Klansman was his best movie and that ended up being his Oscar, so... Fair. I mean, it caught the zeitgeist. It's also interesting since Netflix is already amounting such a large campaign for David Fincher to see if they're just willing to run two at the same time or change tracks this late into the game. Like, if uh, Defy Bloods had been Amazon or another studio, I think you might have seen more of a fight as opposed to one that's already getting their eye on the prize for another contender. I still want to say that I maintain that I really do think that when we get to the major televised awards, or even even if you discount, say, BAFTA, Golden Globe, Critics' Choice, I really think Fincher is... He's still my prediction to win the DGA. I, I, just, I, I just can't help but shake this feeling that the tables are reversed this year and when where he was the critical darling in 2010 and Tom Hooper won the DGA and literally nothing else and then went on to win the Oscar, there's a part of me that thinks that that's Fincher this year. Yeah, I agree. Number 15, sticking with the Netflix conversation, The Trial of the Chicago 7. I love it. I was waiting for someone else to say something. It's uh, <laughs> right up there with my favorites of the year. It's going to be like top three when all said and done. I don't care what people have to say about this movie. It is in my top 10 of the year as well. Just as a piece of entertainment, I really, really enjoy watching that movie when I watch it. And I can't help it. It's a great throwback. 
Okay. We will definitely be hearing more about it. <laughs> Number 14 is Palm Springs. Oh, nice. that's nice. That's fun, too. That's in my that. top 10. Yeah. Number 13, Another Round. Ooh, wow. interesting. <laughs> Guys, I, that's that not really surprise me. People are, Mads Mikkelsen is a thing. Um, yeah, but, but accessibility, people... like above several Netflix movies, that's kind of surprising. Mm-hmm. Number 12. I just rewatched this this past week, and it held up so well. It landed in my top ten. Never, rarely, sometimes, always. Yes. Yes. Number eleven is David Fincher's Mank. Interesting. Just missed the top ten. Yep. Mm. Number ten, and I think this is really telling, considering how many people still have not yet seen it. Number ten is Minari. Wow, a lot of passion for it. Yeah, that's the one I could really see. Like, who's not going to like that movie? <laughs> the passion is definitely building. Number nine, speaking of passion, number nine is Wolf Walkers. Yes. <laughs> yes. Hive. You guys still think I'm insane for predicting it over Soul, right? Yes. Truly. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. You're okay. Certifiably insane. Okay. Number eight, Christopher Nolan's Tenet. <laughs> Get out of here. Because everybody saw it. It was a thing. Yeah. We all know. Josh, Josh, we talked about this, you and I. Has it not played better on rewatches for you? It has, but not to the top ten of the year. <laughs> Number seven, Charlie Kaufman's maddening adaptation, I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Okay, that's pretty cool. I like that that's in there. Number six, a little film that could baby teeth. Wow. Ooh. Yes. Good, good, good movie. Yeah, but I'm surprised that it is that high. Same. Me too. I mean, a little, but... Number five is Emerald Fennell's directorial debut, Promising Young Woman. Never heard of it. <laughs> Number four, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Hey, that, that's a really good one. Oh, oh, so you have heard of that one? I have heard of that one. Uh, sequel to Ma, Octavia Spencer was recast <laughs> by Viola Davis, and she sings this time, but uh, worth checking out if you like the original. Number three, Sound of Metal. Nice. Wow. Nice. That's all the way up there. That's another one I can't see anybody not liking. I know that sounds naive, but you know. I mean, like, once you get past the opening few minutes with the heavy, heavy metal music. <laughs> Which, you know, for metal fans like myself, isn't a problem. <laughs> Yeah, but for I know. the older crowd. <laughs> number two, Disney Pixar's Soul. Brilliant. And number one, no surprise, Chloe Jaws' Nomadland. No complaints here. I'm surprised that many people have seen it, but, you know, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not because a lot of film Twitter people that that's been their most anticipated of the year. They took whatever thing they could to to see that movie yeah any virtual screenings that were available at any festival anywhere people yeah, pretty sold. much got in line for yeah. it mm -hmm. i know i did yeah. yeah yeah it's weird like no bad land through the film festivals almost got treated like a somewhat traditional rollout of a indie platformer it was almost mm -hmm. like interesting to see it play out that way all right well Good job, MPP film community, on voting for your favorite films of 2020. And now we are asking everyone, which films are you most looking forward to in 2021? You could choose up to 10 titles for this poll. 
So I'm not going to ask everyone for their top 10 here. That might be a little bit too much. However, feel free to say anything that you want, anything that comes to mind. I'm going to first start off with Josh Parham. Josh, what films are you most looking forward to in 2021 that are not No Time to Die? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's a given. So obviously that's my number one. But... Um, you know, I do want to see In the Heights very badly. Uh, that I was very actually disappointed that that did get moved, so I'm very much looking forward to that. Obviously, also want to see The Green Knight for many obvious reasons. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and you know, I'm not really a big Marvel person, but I have to say that The Eternals is one that does interest me, if only because you know, Chloe Zhao directed my favorite movie of 2020, so I'm interested in whatever she's got coming up later. And uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's got a new movie out too. And I'm always down for the new PTA film. All right. Lauren LaMagna, anything other than Black Widow? (laughs) Yeah, again, I'm on brand. I've been waiting for that movie since 2012. I've been campaigning for that movie since 2014. So I am seeing my Black Widow movie. Like, that is happening. (laughs) But um, other than um, Black Widow... I am really also excited for In the Heights. I am a Marvel fan, but I'm also a musical theater fan. So we're going to get two of those knocked out. I'm also really excited for, um, I'm really excited for, I just, I don't know if I'm excited for, but I want to see Amy Adams get out of that window. (laughs) 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 She's happy behind her window. She needs to leave the window. So I want to free her. And then maybe I'll catch her. I don't know when Dear Evan Hansen comes out, but if that's still coming, um, I can't wait to see her read the line. You can't go to school high, Connor, because I think it'll be perfect. <laughs> oh, God, yes. But yeah, let's get Amy out of the window. <laughs> get her out. <laughs> Cody Derricks. So as a horror fan, this year was interesting because really the only major uh, studio horror film we got this year was Invisible Man. And then it was a bunch of like a huge, huge, bountiful offering of teeny tiny indie horror films, you know, of varying quality, but, you know, definitely some gems in there. That being said, I'm very excited for some of the, you know, franchisee studio stuff that's coming out next year, including um, Candyman, the remake looks, or sequel, I guess. It's still a little bit unclear, but it looks really great. Um, Halloween Kills, even though I wasn't big on the 2018 one, hopefully this can be better. Um, Conjuring the Devil Made Me Do It. I love that franchise, even the like yes. stupid Annabelle ones. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's going to be, I don't know what the hell it's going to be, but uh, Spiral from the Book of Saw. We'll oh, see God. what that's like. <laughs> oh, Lord, no. Well, you know, um, I have seen all those movies, too. So too. I am curious about it, I have to admit. <laughs> yeah, I'll be there, duh, obviously. <laughs> Um, and then, but I think my number one most anticipated of the year, um, it combines two things I love, which is uh, horror and Edgar Wright movies. I'm really excited for Last Night in Soho. Really nice. Cool. All right. Let's hear next from Michael. Uh, anything other than West Side Story? That is my number one. I've been waiting for Steven Spielberg to do a full-on musical since the opening of Temple of Doom. So uh, this is going to be really interesting for me to see. Can't wait to see what that looks like. Uh, plenty of people mentioned In the Heights, but I was ante- anticipating that one last year, and I'm doing the same this year. Nightmare Alley, the new Del Toro film, has an amazing cast, so I want to see what they're up to. Same with new Wes Anderson film, The French Dispatch. Uh, really interested to see what his uh, new movie looks like, his first live action since Grand Budapest, so that's uh, much anticipated. I really want to see The Many Saints of Newark, the Sopranos prequel. 
you just finished watching The Sopranos, right? I did. I've been watching it uh, for a lot of COVID. And now that it's over, I need some more Sopranos content in my life. So <laughs> the prequel about uh, young Tony and uh, his father, Johnny Boy, and Dickie Maltesanti, Christopher's father, in like the late 60s Newark, uh, give it to me. Hook it up to my veins. I want to see that movie right now. And if we get it this year, I don't know if it's going to be 21 or 22, I really want to see James Gray's Armageddon Time for that cast alone. I have a feeling that will be this year, I think, because... I don't know if they've started filming yet. Oh, okay. See, I thought they were in the process of filming, so... And since it's a since it's a smaller movie, it's not like at Astra level, I figured that, you know, they might be able to get it out in time. Maybe, but that cast is truly, truly amazing. So whenever that much talent is together in one room, I need to be there to see what they're doing. All righty, and Dan Baer. Um, I am, you know, the big musical guy, Dance and Dan, so I am most looking forward to In the Heights and Annette. Annette, yeah. Mm, yeah. Marion Cotillard and Adam Driver. Mm-hmm. All right. Alphabetically for me, I genuinely hate that I know people who have seen A Quiet Place Part 2 and they say it's better than the first <sighs> one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was supposed to see that two days after lockdown was was put in place by Governor Cuomo here in New York, and I have not forgiven him since. Uh, <laughs> so I'm very much looking forward to that. Uh, Baz Luhrmann has a movie coming out this year uh, about Elvis Presley. And listen. Oh, yeah. That's a thing. Baz is Baz. And I don't normally like his movies a lot of the time. But he made Moulin Rouge and he always swings for the fences and he goes big. So I'm interested in seeing how that goes this time around. Blonde, the new film from Andrew Dominic uh, starring Anna de Armas. Based on the Joyce Carol Oates novel. Uh, what else we have? We have the new Mike Mills film uh, that he's following 20th century women uh, with, Come On, Come On, starring Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, we were t- hoping that was going to come out this year, but looks like it's going to be uh, next year. Adam McKay's Netflix extravaganza, Don't Look Up, with what is the most ungodly of godly casts I've ever seen assembled for a movie in my life. <laughs> That's insane. Uh, obviously, because it was my most anticipated last year, it's one of my most anticipated again this year. Denny Villeneuve's Dune. Can't not not mention that. Um, after the rush of adrenaline that was Hamilton this year for me, I am also looking forward to In the Heights. I was looking forward to In the Heights before that even, but now it's like, holy crap, just give me more Lin-Manuel Miranda, like more than ever before. Uh, last Night in Soho, that was already mentioned. Mission Impossible 7. I mean, just because I can't wait to see, you know, what else Tom Cruise puts his body through f- for our entertainment. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always love those movies. He, he he claims he's, uh you know, saving cinema for all of us. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see, you know, after Christopher Nolan uh, failed at that mission this year, if uh, Tom Cruise can complete that mission this year. <laughs> and honestly, why shouldn't he be the one? Uh, no Time to Die, I gotta mention it, have to mention it, we got another trailer for it, and it just looks amazing. Very much looking forward to seeing how they wrap up uh, that Daniel Craig era. Paul Thomas Anderson's Soggy Bottom, I think that's a working title, if I remember what correctly. A title. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what a title. <laughs> Is what now? <laughs> it's a sequel to Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. 
Um, after all the casting announcements, Spider-Man 3. I mean, I'm in Spider-Man 3. <laughs> what a meme. How can what you not meme. be excited for a live action Spider-Verse version with Tom Holland? I, I mean, God, if they if they do manage to bring back Andrew Garfield, Tobey Maguire and like all these other people from the previous movies, I, I am like if Willem Dafoe shows up as the Green Goblin, all bets are off. It's a 10 out of 10 movie for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a Pandora's box and they are definitely opening it. I don't know. I'm like, eh. I that has been my least favorite superhero franchise, honestly. So I could care less. Dear God. OK. Sorry, I just never got into it. That's funny. That's actually my favorite of the new ones that we have. Uh, gotta mention David Lowry's The Green Knight. A24 finally gave us a release date. <laughs> I mean, dear Lord Almighty, I am very much looking forward to seeing what that looks like, especially because David Lowry, I just think, is such a visionary filmmaker. Robert Eggers' The North Man. Oh, yeah. After what he has given us with The Witch and The Lighthouse, I... I could not be more excited to see what else he delivers. And this being a Viking epic. I mean, come on. (laughs) Uh, And I'm at the end here now. Uh, You know what? I I mentioned this before, but yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what James Gunn does with the Suicide Squad. Take two. Let's see if this time it works out. Yeah. uh, You know, I was looking over the list and there's actually two other things that I just want to quickly mention that I am also looking forward to. One of them is Antlers, which was a movie I wanted to see last year and was crushed with the I didn't get the chance to see it. So I really want to see that. And there's another movie called Those Who Wish Me Dead. And I will admit only reason I want to see it is because Nicholas Holt is in it. <laughs> <That's laughs> it on my list. There are worse reasons to want to see a movie, Josh. Yes, and what's most important is honesty. Yes. I'm surprised no one mentioned The Matrix 4. You know why? Because quite honestly, until I see it and the story justifies why there had to be a fourth one, I like kind of like Toy Story 4, I am so, so guarded with being any type of level of enthusiastic about it. Yeah, that's, I'm, me, with I'm any Wachowski, <laughs> that's me with any Wachowski um, piece. They're always a hit or miss with me, so I want to see something before I'm go. I mean, I'll see it, but I'm, I will be in line to see that movie, but am I going to be ecstatic or cautious about it? I need to see something first. And Fair I have enough. yet to be disappointed by them, including Jupiter Ascending, so... <laughs> well, I agree. I have yet to be disappointed by them, but it's just, like, really another Matrix movie. Like, that trilogy ended... I mean, well, it didn't end well, but, like, it did end in a way that made sense and that closed a chapter. Right. And I, why... I'm not convinced that we need another. I'm very much in the same boat as you. And I don't Lawrence Fishburne is not here, but Carrie Ann Moss is. I'm very confused. Yeah, I, I don't know exactly how this will play out, but I'm I am just going to support on anything that the Wachowskis do. And especially this one. I believe it's only Lana Wachowski who's directing yeah. it. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I'm it's curious to see what her solo venture into this franchise is going to be. I'm, I'm curious about that. Yeah. And I was a fan of, I think Lana took over the last season of sense eight and I enjoyed that. Yeah. So she's good and I trust her, but she, they are still hit or misses for me. So I either love them or I really don't. So I do want to wait to see something. Oh, fair enough. Uh, another one I didn't mention because I don't think it's actually going to be 2021 
but uh, maybe it'll be a miracle when it comes out, is Damien Chazelle's Babylon. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say that, Michael. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I think it would be a miracle if they got that out by Christmas, but uh, stranger things have happened. Yep. Oh, definitely looking yeah. forward to it. The same thing can be said for Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. I mean, it, it yeah. could be a situation where he films it this year and gets it like right in under the wire like he did with like Silence and Wolf of Wall Street. And he gets that last week of December release. <laughs> you never know. They're going to have to bring in Ridley Scott as a consultant on all these movies to make sure they get done in like two days. God, The Last <laughs> Duel is coming right? out this year. <laughs> yeah. There's two movies this year, The Last Duel and Gucci. Oh, my God, Gucci. He's a professional. He loves to do that. He loves to double up. And normally I would say about Gucci that, you know, it can't come out this year. There's not enough time. It's set for November. It's set for November 24th. That man can start the movie on November 20th and have it out and edit it and already go. Yes, he can. Ridley Scott can do anything. <laughs> doesn't mean he does it well, but he could do anything. <laughs> the Gucci cast is just out of this world. Like you thought Armageddon time was something. This one is just bonkers crazy. I don't know. I would put it up against Don't, uh, don't Look Up. <laughs> Yeah, everyone's working. That's a good thing. Yes, I agree with that for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, head on over to the polls page over at nextbestpicture.com. Cast a vote there for what movies you are most looking forward to in 2021 and let us know. I mean, look, we haven't even mentioned the United States versus Billie Holiday. Because that's 2020, <laughs> goddammit. No, it is not, no, damn it. Not. It is being released in 2021. Not my release date. Judas <laughs> <laughs> and the Black Messiah is 2020. I will fight you all on this. Also, twenty yeah, Look what year it is. <laughs> Hashtag sorry. What does the calendar it. say, sir? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now it's time to answer fan questions for this week. Let's see what the MVP film community had to ask us. Was A Quiet Place inspired by signs it comes at night in War for the Planet of the Apes? Was Ready Player One influenced by Avatar, Wreck-It Ralph, and The Last Starfighter? Is The Hurricane Heist more influenced by Sharknado or Geostorm? These are the kinds of questions my guest co-hosts and I discuss on my podcast, Piecing It Together. Every week we look at a new movie and try to figure out what other movies inspired it, whether it's the story, the character development, tone, or even use of music. Every movie was influenced by something that came before, and we want to figure out what. Check out Piecing It Together on your favorite podcast app or check us out on piecingpod.com. You can also follow us on social media at piecingpod. Piecing It Together is a part of the All Points West Podcast Network. James Robert Scott asks, is there a world where Carrie Mulligan wins Best Actress Drama at the Golden Globes, then goes on to win the Oscar for Promising Young Woman? Yes, there is. Yeah, it's a tough road, but yeah. I'm old enough to remember a time back in 2009 when very early on she was the front runner for an education and then this uh, newcomer named Sandra Bullock came out of nowhere and just took all the momentum away and won the Oscar. Sandra Bullock was not a newcomer. That was the He's being Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. It was a joke. <laughs> we love jokes. We love comedy here in this picture. We Michael's laughing. humor tends to fly over my head, so. Uh, didn't think it would, but okay. Uh, anyhow, so right now we don't really have a front runner in that race. I guess some people would say Viola Davis. Some people might say Frances McDormand. But uh, that race is... Uh, ripe for some sort of upset. So I would be interested to see what happens with uh, Carrie Mulligan once that movie hits and the world at large gets to see it. Just a few more days, Michael. Just a few more days. Uh, David Mitchell Baker, the director's branch is known for throwing us curveballs on either nomination morning or an Oscar night. Does anyone have a big surprise in the director category currently predicted? In the best director category? Yeah. Uh, One idea that I have been saying for a while because here's the thing 
I think collectively amongst all of us, we think that this is a sure thing, but I really do think that in the grand scheme of outside of Next Best Picture, there are many who don't see it this way, but Florian Zeller for The Father still feels like an outside shot and doesn't feel like a sure thing to me. Agreed. I He's always sort of been like on the bubble for me, like should get in and it is a real feat of directing, honestly. And between him doing the directing and the writing the script, you know, that goes a long way. I wonder, though, like the director's branch isn't exactly known for welcoming new people to the club with regularity. No, which is why, like, when people are talking about all these first time director nominees, possibly this year, I I, I, I have to just like kind of pump the brakes a little bit and be like listen Fincher is getting in Spike Lee is getting in yeah it'll be Sorkin's first time in director but like you know you can kind of consider him part of the establishment to a certain extent then you have Chloe Zhao and then it's like that last slot it could be George C. Wolfe it could be Florian Zeller it could be Shaka King for Judas and the Black Messiah uh it's tough to say I I don't know yet. I have to admit, one thing that's kind of bothering me is that like, I feel that people are holding out hope for Regina King, but the buzz on that movie is so low right now. Even after its release on Christmas in theaters, I really don't see anyone talking about that movie, and it's not making the dent in the critics' groups the way that I thought that it would. Well, it's well let's like, also remember it's that... It's a solid movie. Like, she does a good job directing, but it's not very showy. Yeah. And you also say not making a dent in theaters. I mean, look at what theaters it's actually playing in and who's actually going. But I don't mean it like in terms of uh, box office. I just mean in terms of conversation. Like I know, but people can't have the conversation if they haven't seen the movie. But people are having conversation about going to a theater to see Promising Young Woman, for example. Uh, I think they're appealing to very mm. different audiences. And One Night in Miami will drop in less than two weeks and people will talk about it then. I'm not ready to write that off just yet. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, I, I agree that we sort of have to wait with One Night in Miami until it drops. Like, yeah, we have seen people talk about going out into theaters to see Promising Young Woman, but I also think that is in our Twitter bubbles and after so long of people talking that up and within a very niche group getting excited about it, I I wouldn't read too much into that. I would have to wait until One Night in Miami drops on Prime and see what that reception is before I make any declarative statements on its buzz. Just a few more days. Just a few more days. Yeah. Uh, Scott Kernan asks, what is one underseen and underrated performance that you believe stands a chance to get a surprise nomination at the Golden Globes this year? It could be a comedic performance, a performance in an indie film, or a popular actor in a not very well-known uh, movie that was released this year. I feel I'm like I was speaking to... for the group, but Rada Blank. 
for I I would love that in like the sort of like Greta Gerwig Francis Ha kind of nomination. Yes. Love that. But the one that I think is actually a chance is the matched set of his and hers nominations for Andy Samberg and Kristen Milioti for Palm Springs. That could happen. Don't shoot the messenger here, but you know, I'm just going with the trends of the Golden Globes. Emily Blunt will be nominated for Wild Mountain Time. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I said it on the prom review, but we need to prepare ourselves for James Corden Golden Globe nominee. Absolutely. Potential winner. The road stops there, obviously, but, you know, just don't don't be too surprised. I have one for you guys. Zendaya in Malcolm and Marie. No, I mean, right now I'm actually attraction. Is that going comedy? Then no, uh, no he, I think the question was just any, any, any kind of, oh, oh yeah. Okay. Fair. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, she's in my, uh, my Oscar predictions right now, uh, actually is in die for that movie. Um, I would also say that I have this feeling about Julia Louis Dreyfus and downhill showing up at the globes. Oh, I, wow. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't know. It's just a feeling probably wrong, probably wrong, but you know, it's in my mind right now. I don't think they even put her in there for every season of veep. So I don't know if she's as beloved as some people might think. I could be wrong about that, but I think there was a, a cutoff with that show over in the yeah. TV side. They usually do that. They, you know, yeah. they're whores for a first season. So, uh, Oscar H V underscore film underscore maniac asks, how much do you think the longer timeline is going to affect this year's award season? Is there a world where one of the supposed locks misses because it's a default nominee and there's not much passion behind it? And could a big underdog contender that has the passion take its place? I mean, we've already talked about how Mank is sort of falling, and I think a lot of us have moved Gary Oldman to the bottom, if not completely out of R5 for best lead actor. It's funny because last year's early Oscars gave us this slate of really predictable, you know, kind of rubber stamp nominees. Like, what was it? Four movies got more than 10 nominations for the first time ever. Yep. And with this season's extended window, I wonder if like maybe the opposite will happen. And like you said, Matt, maybe a lot of movies will get five to seven nominations and there might be kind of more surprises in there because there's more time for things to kind of circulate and move around and uh, gain a conversation. I think right now the thing that I'm seeing a lot of is and I and I can't help but feel like this question is fueled by this, but like I do see a lot of people writing off David Fincher for Mank and Best Director now. And everybody is saying it's Chloe Jaws to lose, it's gonna go to Jaw, and nobody even wants to entertain the idea that she has competition. Those people are stupid. Yeah. <laughs> like sorry, sorry, not sorry, but like we all this has happened so many times where Mm -hmm. critics all line up behind one person and the industry says nope that's not to our taste and i think that is very much the case with nomadland in general and chloe john particular yeah she does not have it in the bag yeah you can say you know she deserves it which she i would say she absolutely does but to say she has it in the bag especially this early is naive yeah, yeah like I will, it still happen that the industry will rally around Nomadland more than we think. That's very possible. But as of right now, with the state of the race as it is, th- saying that she is anything like a lock to win is not really paying attention. Yeah, that's ridiculous to say anything is a lock at this point. Though I will say that given the like critical popularity of david fincher it is a little weird he hasn't like won 
anything at this point. Like, I still expect the industry to embrace him, but it does also feel like you kind of need the bedrock of critical support for best director win for somebody like David Fincher. And because that hasn't happened yet, I do find that to be kind of interesting. Uh, We actually just found out literally a moment ago uh, that the Golden Globes have moved Stanley Tucci to lead actor for Supernova. Which is where he should be, by all accounts. And One Night in Miami, uh, all the men are going supporting in that category. Which is also how it should be. (laughs) And Trevante Rhodes has submitted for lead for the United States versus Billie Holiday, though the awards campaign has yet to be finalized for it. Is that drama or musical comedy? Do we know yet? Drama. I, uh, I can't imagine too, it being musical comedy. It's not so much about her as a singer, from what I understand, but uh, an FBI FBI investigation. Listen, my week with Marilyn, you know, that's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. We want to think that we've come a long way. <laughs> 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 all right. Uh, back to the fan questions. Just wanted to quickly announce that. But thank you, Clayton Davis at Variety for letting us know. John T. asks... The supporting actor race has lots of contenders, but no clear front runner. Do you foresee the precursors being like 2006? Lots of names showing up at the precursors, making for a very unpredictable Oscars or 2009. Everyone quickly falls in line behind the same five names. I think it's going to be people are going to fall in line, honestly. And it pains me to say, but I think that like in a year where Like we were talking about before, people's movie watching has been so varied, partially because, you know, of what's available and because of what's interesting to them that I I think that people are going to see all end up seeing the same things because they're going to see what other people are talking about. And then things are going to fall in line from that because there are just too many movies this year. There are too many places to put your attention and not enough time. I would argue yeah. there's less movies this year. I mean, like there's the extended se- uh, season, but with so many things pushed off, you can really just kind of say, "Hey, watch this over here." I mean, you know, low faith in Oscar voters as usual to actually, you know, dig into that screener pile. But we'll right, well, that's what I'm saying. Like a lot of the more interesting movies that we, you know, were thinking early on would have a real chance to score big nominations, like um, Emma or Palm Springs or 40 year old version. Like those are not the type of movies that the Academy members real will usually go out and see. And I don't think they're going to honestly. Well, that goes back to the campaign strategy, like for that, like which one does Hulu go for? Which one does Netflix push? Like those are those campaigns, but I do think there are a lot of other films out there right now. And I can see, you know, major awards branches, you know, mixing up their top fives or top tens. Pedro Cruz asks, hello, everyone. What is your favorite work in visual effects for 2020? Thank you. Oh, mm. I mean, I, I still feel like I have to say Tenet. Yeah, same's up, Josh. Yeah, I, I think I have to begrudgingly say that as well. I mean, it, the visual effects, if nothing else, are spectacular. Like those action sequences, yeah. you know, don't turn the damn sound off, but like just look at them. They look fantastic. <laughs> I haven't seen Tenet, but I'm going to go with The Midnight Sky, which I thought was breathtakingly beautiful. Those are good visual effects. I didn't really finish Tenet, but like from what <laughs> I saw of it, it was really good. Like it looked, the action was good. Like he could do action, so I guess I'll give it to it. I'm going to say that like I'm in a weird place because I'm not sure how much in this was visual effects and how much of it was other things, but Possessor. It's a good answer, though. 
Also, it's an atypical one, but um, the visual splendor and what they pulled off with Wolf Walkers, you know, that's a combination of art direction yeah. and storyboarding yeah. and stuff. But, you know, there's something there. It looks really damn good. Also want to give a shout out to The Invisible Man, which I really, really do hope gets an Oscar nomination for visual effects. That would be great. There are a lot of worthy elements in that, honestly. Yeah, I, I, I don't think, and I said this at the time when we saw it, I didn't think that the visual effects were good, but I think I was mentally comparing it to what was still to come, hopefully, in 2020. But now that we've seen everything that we could see, it, it does stand out as one of the better movies with a visual effects component. And even though it doesn't like blow my mind and it wasn't like absolutely incredible, um, I would be very, very happy to see that film get a nomination somewhere at MHB cinema. I would love to get, I would love to get this cleared up from each one of you one by one here. Mm -mm. Oh boy. Will the January, February wide releases such as supernova pieces of a woman, etc., count towards your 2021 top tens, despite being Oscar eligible for the season, or do you still count them as 2020 IE portrait of lady on fire, etc.? Well, hold on. Let me jump in there because Portrait of Lady on Fire had a yeah. limited run. Yeah. Yes, it and did. And you were able to see it. So yeah. that's my cutoff right 2019 there. movie. And Pieces of Woman also has a December 30th. You know, I don't know where the hell it's playing, but technically it was released, you know, on New Year's Eve Eve. So that is a 2020 movie. The Father, 2021. That's my stance on it. Okay. Uh, the Father has played in yeah, theaters. Yeah, it's played. But yeah. has it? I thought it was just festivals. I could not no. find a single... Limited release. No, that run. did open in December that in a few theaters. It. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna need evidence. <laughs> did Supernova open in a few theaters? No. Not in the United like, States. I've been like putting off on like how much this is gonna fuck up my letterbox list because <laughs> <laughs> like it's really annoying me because I don't know where I'm gonna put these things. But I think if it's released if it is released either on your streaming site or in theaters, like from now till December 31st, 2021, it's going in the 2021 list. Like, let me ask this. Like, if, if something like the United States versus Billy Holiday gets 10 Oscar nominations, or even one no nomination, it shows up in this year's Oscars, and everyone here loves it and puts it on their top 10, why wouldn't it go on the same list as what the Oscars are doing in that year? Why split because it over Because I'm following the calendar, personally. I don't always go with the Oscars, you know? In the I same am, way that last year, this is a very specific example, but And Then We Danced was the yeah. submission for foreign language for that country because it opened in their country in 2019, but it didn't open here anywhere until 2020. So I love that film. It's in my top 10 for this year. Yeah, I'm in the same boat, Cody. And I'm, I sort of am treating these as I would treat a foreign language submission that didn't open until the next year here, which is it. Like, for our NBP awards, if we're going by Oscar calendar, that's fine. But for, in terms of my personal <laughs> awards, if something does not open in theaters until 2021, it's a 2021 movie, and I don't care about when it was eligible for the Oscars. You know, this is... God, it's such a messy fucking situation that I hate it. Is. <laughs> yeah, I, I really hate it. I, I hate really it here. Hate it. And I really do feel like to the best of my ability, I need to keep it to 2020 calendar year as much as possible. And I think that there is some gray area. Like, 
like the situation with the father is an interesting one because I do think it did play in like one or two theaters, but the major release for that movie did get pushed. But I think that movie still gets treated as a 2020 movie, even if it wasn't widely available to people. Whereas something like like Billie Holiday or Judas and the Black Messiah, those are films that did not have any presence at all in 2020 mm-hmm. and got moved. Yeah into 2021 pretty definitely and i just can't justify that being called a 2020 movie uh, you know i understand the weirdest has been very year or has been very weird and we need to kind of soften it a little bit in terms of our standards but uh, like at some point i have to have a cutoff and when we get into february i just can't justify it to myself to put it on a top 10 of 2020 list all right Final question, Paul Rye, happy new year to the MVP team. What are your new goals for the new year? Michael? Ooh, what are we basing this on? Just personal goals, movie goals, anything in particular? Why don't we keep it to movie goals? And if you want to reveal something personal, that's fine. Uh, Let's see. Uh, First, movie goals. I would like to... Fill in some blind spots when we get past Oscar season. And when I say blind spots, I mean Oscar blind spots, like Best Actress nominees from the past that I've never seen. Uh, filling in some Best Picture blind spots, uh, stuff like that. Going into the past while we still have the time to do it. I agree. Uh, if there's one thing that quarantine has given us this year, it's given us uh, no excuses not to try and fill up some blind spots. That's that's for sure. Uh, righty, Lauren. Um, yeah, I agree with, you know, filling in the blind spots, particularly from, you know, 1970 down. I feel like I need to really work on those, like, early classic eras. I want to see a lot more foreign film. I feel like I see a decent amount, but I do want to, you know, strengthen that bunch because I do see a lot of, you noticed know, American and English film. So I do want to go deeper into my foreign film for this year. And I just... I'm tired. I want to see Black Widow. Like, I know I'm a broken record, but again, it is like a 10 plus year quest for it. And I want to see it. So that's the goal. Cody Derricks. Um, very, very similar to everybody else here. I'm working currently on filling in uh, acting winning uh, blind spots and also best picture nominees. Um, I also want to get better. I feel like I unfortunately say this almost every year, but I want to get better about seeing international features that aren't just up for Oscars. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and granted, that's a pr- trouble problem of release, but also I live in a major city, so hopefully after all this is alleviated, I can uh, make that a priority. Josh Parm. Well, uh, I mean, obviously seeing No Time to Die. <laughs> that's the number one priority for the new year. Um, but outside of that, yeah, obviously want to see more movies, and I also want to really bulk up my physical media collection. I I feel like I have been sort of slacking on that recently, but ever since I got this new Blu-ray player, which is both 4K and region-free, that just, like, opens oh up <laughs> so many different possibilities of what I can own, and I really want to take the time to kind of investigate a lot of different stuff that might be harder to get that I can just own because I have the ability to see that stuff now. Let's talk. I might have what you're looking for. <laughs> I will be in touch. <laughs> ah, ominous. <laughs> Dan Bear. Um, I I want to make better use of all my streaming platform subscriptions. Mm, yeah. I I know that there are there are so many 
<laughs> and there seem to be more and more coming every day. And there is so much content. And I know that like, you know, after I got the um, Disney plus to watch Hamilton, because I had to see Hamilton, um, I have not really used it as much as I would have liked. And not because, you know, not because I don't like the content there, just because there's so much content and I'm not used to making that part of my regular, okay, I want to watch something. What should I watch routine? Um, and you know, like spending a lot of money on all these things. And I really want to use them, especially like, dude, the uh, classic film content on HBO max. Yeah. Rocks. <laughs> HBO max is terrific. Yeah, what they have there with uh, you know new content, older content, stuff just hiding out—it's really spectacular. Uh, all right, so for myself, um, I guess now is a good time to announce this. Um, looking to diversify the team, uh, looking to bring on some new people. More to come on that. I feel like at the beginning of this year, I didn't really have a good system in place. Now I feel like I do to where any major releases this year. Uh, we will be able to have it covered. So not missing any kind of major release in terms of uh, reviews, whether they're written or podcast form. Uh, that's definitely a goal of mine to have like 100% completion on for 2021. Uh, and I, I really have you guys to thank for that. So like truly, thank you in advance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know I say every year I want to see less movies than the previous year because I want to free up my time to focus on other projects for the site to help the site grow. I feel like I am watching every time I say that I end up watching more movies. I'm about to say, Matt, like how many movies did you see at Sundance last year? <laughs> <laughs> I know every time I say it, I always end up watching more. I think like uh in 2018, I could be wrong about this, but I think in like 2018, I saw like 180 movies and I was like, I want to see less. And then last year, I think I saw like over 190 or over 200. And then this year, I think I saw like oh 220 God. something. That's insane. I think that's half of all the movies I saw in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, yeah, I keep saying, yeah, every year I'm like less, less, more time. <laughs> Put more back into the site and... I, I still continue to work like a madman, um, like like they say in Hamilton. The man is nonstop. Yep, that's you, all right. <laughs> uh, and then just in terms of uh, other goals, I guess that I have, I too would like to uh, fill in some blind spots. But mostly, what I want to be able to do is I would like to have seen every single Oscar winner in every above the line category. So. Every screenplay winner, every supporting actor, actress, and I'm talking about going all the way back to the original, the OG Oscars. Um, I would like to be able, with the free time that I have, to start filling in those blind spots and letting that be my, letting that be my guide. I don't know, J Josh, Dan, Cody. I I don't know, but like, have have you guys like seen like all the Best Picture winners? Yes. Um. Yeah. You know. I have not seen no. all the Best Picture winners. There are a few that have still eluded me after all these years. I have seen some of the harder ones to see, though, weirdly, because whenever I see one of them playing anywhere, I'm like, I must see it now because who knows when I'll be able to see it again. 
Yeah, it was a goal I made when I was 12, and I finished it uh, yeah. uh, three years ago. Yeah, it was a goal I set for myself also to see at least all the Best Picture winners, and I I did finish that like a couple years ago. I uh, The last time I set a goal for myself, like I actually had a roadmap, was I downloaded the IMDb Top 250 as it was, and I printed that list, and I worked off of that list and saw every single movie on that 250, and that kind of like helped me to then branch off into other things from there. So I got a lot of like my movie watching foundation from that at the time. Uh, but then as I got older, I started watching more docs, more foreign, more Oscar winning films. But still, yeah, some blind spots that need to be sewn up for sure. So I think that's an easy goal you can do. I think you can finish the best picture winner list because you probably watched what, like 80 percent of them. So oh, easily. Yeah. Yeah. So do that and yeah. then figure out what else you want to do. All righty. Well, that'll do it here for episode 227 of the Next Best Picture podcast. Michael, where can I find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at mschwartz95. Lauren LaMagna? You guys can find me on the Twitter at Lauren LaMango. Josh Parham? I am on Twitter at J.R. Parham. Cody Derricks? I'm on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Instagram at CodyMonster91. Dan Bear. You can find me on Twitter at Dancing Dan on Film. And you could find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. $1 minimum a month, you can get exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.